Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're so glad that you are joining us. If you're finding us for the first time, make sure that you subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. If you're not uh, not an Apple products person, uh, Todd and I use uh, Podcast Addict to find ours on our Android phones. Um, I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Join me as always, as I already said, Todd Plucknett and, uh, and our friend Zach Saltz. Todd, how's it going? Pretty good. Good, good, good. Zach, Zach, how's Kansas treating you? Uh, I don't live in Kansas. I live in the People's Republic of Lawrence. Oh, yes, as yes. As we noted in the last episode. I do have a question, though. So, so why the no iPhone? What's with, why are you Android users? Because Android's better. <laughs> Everyone always tells me, you should get an iPhone, you should get an iPhone. And it has kind of made me be like, no, I'm not going to. Just because everyone tells me to, so I, I can't do it now. It's it's like a little contrarian. Yep, yep. I hate Android. I, I only use iPhone because any video I take, I just airplay onto my computer. I can't do that with an Android. I have to go, like, go through Google Drive. It's very annoying. Oh, uh, well. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the tech segment of the show. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. No, no one cares. It's like one of those things like like for a while I didn't watch like any Harry Potter movies until like the last movie was about to come out. And the reason is because for like 10 years everyone was telling me, "Oh, you have to see Harry Potter. You have to start watching Harry Potter. You got to read Harry Potter." I'm like, "It's the thing everyone's telling me to do." So, no. I'm not going to. And then when I did, I was like, "What am I missing?" But I'm not going to make that make that decision on uh on uh iPhones. So, there you go. That's why. Um yeah. Okay. <laughs> Zach, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking at, right out of Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, the Boulevard Brewing Company's uh, Blonde Ale uh, Tasting Room. And what's kind of curious about this beer is I actually don't like it that much. Um, it's been sitting in my refrigerator for a long time. I'm going to drink it, though. But in case I do have to abandon it midway through, I do have a PBR handy. So, um, woohoo. Normally, I like uh, the Boulevard Brewing Company. It's just there. This this one, we, we got a variety pack in this tasting room one. Kind of tastes like garbage. For, Forky would enjoy it. So it kind of tastes like garbage, so you're going to wash it down with a PBR. Yes, I am. <laughs> to get some extra points for that. There you go. There you go. Todd, what do you got? Uh, gin. Always gin. <laughs> <laughs> Seagram's extra dry gin. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Well, so I, I, I always try to come up with some sort of uh, appropriate uh, beverage for the for the podcast. So uh, we're going to be talking Toy Story here in a little bit. And so uh, in Toy Story, you have Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger. So I have a, I have a beer that was made by his, uh, uh, his, his distant cousin. This is out of New Belgium Brewery in Colorado. It is the Voodoo Ranger. So, Buzz like your Space Ranger. This is the Voodoo Ranger. It is their Juicifer IPA. And, uh, Very nice. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a generic IPA. There's nothing real special about it, but it's good. So, cheers. Cheers. Does it take you to infinity and beyond? 
Oh, we'll see. We'll see. I'll let you know at the end of the podcast. All right. Without any further ado, let's hop into our movie review for the week. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. And this week, uh, we are talking about the newest, uh, the newest blockbuster to hit theaters as we have yet another sequel coming out. And this one is kind of an interesting one. We have Pixar's Toy Story 4. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. Woody, we have a situation. I am not a toy. I was made for soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash. Buzz, we've got to get Forky. Affirmative. alive you're bonnie's toy you are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life huh what oh so uh i'm gonna go to i think todd is probably the biggest fan of toy story of the three of us so i'm gonna go to todd first todd tell us what toy story 4 is all about and what's your thought okay uh toy story 4 uh it begins with a flashback of nine years to with Andy and the toys uh, showing the fateful day when Bo Peep uh, got lost, which was alluded to in the third movie, which lets you know that this is not actually taking place nine years later, but it's taking place basically right after Toy Story 3, which is different than they uh, had done with the previous movies. And Bonnie is the new owner of the toys, and she's heading to kindergarten orientation, and Woody takes ownership over, like, sort of making her feel at home, which leads her to creating a new toy out of a pile of trash named Forky, and uh, it's voiced by the great Tony Hale. Uh, and this immediately becomes the most important thing in the world to Bonnie. And uh, so Woody's new mission is to keep Forky safe at all costs. But Forky doesn't believe that he's a toy. He thinks that he's trash, because he came from trash, and he's constantly trying to throw himself away. And there's an, actually a really great Pixar original song uh, about uh, I won't let you throw yourself away. Just a cl- classic Toy Story stuff. <laughs> uh, Bonnie's uh, family also goes on this little mini vacation, and this leads to the gang uh, meeting uh, a whole bunch of really terrifying dolls, uh, one of which is uh, voiced by Christina Hendricks, and that's Gabby Gabby, and she's like an adorable doll, but sort of like very evil at the same time. And there's also the brilliant addition of Key and Peel as Ducky and Bunny. Uh, and then we come across Bo Peep, and, which is awesome to see her again. She's a lost toy, but she loves it. She like is living as a vagabond and going from place to place. And the the whole m- most of the movie takes place at this like carnival where she's like currently staying. Uh, throughout the first part of the movie, honestly, I thought it was it felt sort of episodic, like like one of their uh, short films that they had that came out between movies like Toy Story that Time Forgot and stuff like that. Uh, I didn't really see any reason for it to exist until. Uh, it got to the Bo Peep part, and then you kind of see where it's going, and Bo Peep is, like, a certified badass in this. Like, she, uh, she, like, ditches her dress, and she's got, like, this whole clan of toys that are, like, working under her, and she, like, knows a whole bunch of people in in this area. It's sort of very underground kind of thing, and, uh, she is, like, I'd say with, uh, what, Marita and Brave be the only other real female, like, heroine we have in Pixar, so, and that was really cool to see. 
and you start to like feel where the movie is heading and uh like woody has this like crisis of self-worth and questioning where he belongs in the world and he's like torn between his duty and his love and what is safe and what's exciting and it i, I think toy story 3 ended in like the perfect way and this one doesn't have the same bow that wraps everything up in but it's uh equally satisfying emotionally and kind of beautiful there's also some really great uh supporting voice work keanu reeves plays duke kaboom who's like a stunt driver and he's he's just crazy uh carl weathers plays the car combat carls which is an awesome callback to the first movie uh patricia arquette bill Hader, apparently ricky henderson that was a voice in this movie uh what which i didn't even catch <laughs> he played like a, a oakland a's bobblehead i guess oh no way i didn't even realize right. that and, uh, I don't know, the, there's a young girl who gets lost at the carnival, and it looked eerily similar to us, and also, like, the, the vibe in the, in the antique store was, like, was, like, really eerie, too. I'm, like, I really think Jordan Peele had a bigger impact on the movie than they would actually let on. I, I think this is a great movie. I don't think it's up to the standard of the first ones. It's like the Return of the Jedi to the, uh, the other two movies. It's a great movie, but it's not a masterpiece. And if for some reason we get another Toy Story movie... I think I finally don't have to worry about them screwing it up because I think that they actually care as much about the characters as I do and they wouldn't tarnish their legacy. I really like this movie a lot. I give it three and a half stars. All right. All right. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, so I was... um, uh, I I love Toy Story as well, um, but I I don't like sequels and I, I really didn't appreciate seeing the 10 previews before this movie that were all sequels or remakes. It kind of put me in a bad mood for this movie and I was prepared to, you know, just be cynical and adult and, you know, kind of jaded and, and too cool for school. Um, uh, I, I also have to say that I have to preface by saying that I had to text, I think I texted both Terry and Todd that I really don't remember Toy Story 3 at all. Um, I don't remember the events of that film. I think I gave it three stars and I think I called it like a glorified direct-to-DVD sequel, which is kind of harsh, but um, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't remember very much of it. And I think um, my response was, I think you're the only one in the world that thinks that, I mean, it was even nominated for Best Picture. That's true. That that is true. I just don't like sequels. I don't like the idea of sequels. I think the first Toy Story is a near perfect movie, and we didn't need to see more of it. I wish the movie had ended at Christmas time when they got the puppy and Andy never grew up. But alas, part of uh, you know the, the reality of life is dealing with Andy growing up and moving on. And so um, I do have to say I, I admired this movie quite a bit too. I, I thought it was very charming, very sweet. Um, I liked that uh, it had a lot of sort of a com- comic uh, motif throughout. It, it, I don't think it took itself too seriously. Um, like Todd, I, I really liked the, uh, the new characters in it. I liked that they didn't just rely on... I mean, the formula is basically, you know, Woody and Buzz getting lost in every movie, it feels like. But in this one, it felt a little bit uh, more organic, I think due in part to the difference in um, location and characters and the fact that we now have Bonnie instead of Andy and Bonnie's parents, who I think are pretty likable in this movie. Um, I was going to throw in my t- uh, my two cinematic references. Th- did you guys notice that the music, there, there, there are two pieces of music in this movie that harken back to earlier movies. You know what I'm talking about? Say it and I might know. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, when uh, they 
when they get into the antique store and the, ventri the ventriloquist doll is pushing them through the cart, the music that plays on the soundtrack, did you know that piece of music? No. It's, it was Midnight, the Stars, and You, and it was the song from The Shining, which I thought was great. That oh. had to be on purpose. Yeah. And oh, then yeah. later later in the movie, when the Key and Peele characters are talking about their plan to get the key back from the old lady who runs the antique store, <laughs> the, the the song that plays is a distinct but rec and recognizable uh, variation of the theme of, from Taxi Driver. Uh, anyway, yes, I, I don't did. Know. I, I did notice oh, you, that. You noticed that. I did yeah. notice that when they're when they were talking about the plush rush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, are, <laughs> I, I think there are a lot of little goodies in there, not just for fans of Toy Story, but for fans of movies in general. Um, a couple other personal kind of notes that I liked about the movie. I, I would totally agree with Todd that I think Bo is badass in this movie. It's really nice seeing that. If there's one thing from the original Toy Story that doesn't age well, it's a very, like, bromance, bro-centered movie. And it's nice to see some really strong female characters um, in this movie. And I really like the evolution of the Bo, Bo Peep character, and it explains her absence from, from the third one. Um, and then, I, I guess, on, on, on the same kind of note, you know, Tim Allen is a Trump supporter, and uh, he's a conservative, and so I'm glad... Maybe this is totally unrelated, but uh, you know, I, I was glad to see a, a diminished role for Buzz Lightyear. We we don't need Buzz as much. Okay, go to your Trump rally and you know be whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, so overall, I I, I would give it a, a a thumbs up. I can't in I can't give it you know a emphatic thumbs up because I just I can't get past the the concept of a sequel being you know that great so um it's a solid three-star movie it's really enjoyable i felt like things got wrapped up well and at the end of toy story 3 when i had to reread the synopsis of it um and uh you know this the, the, but this is a fun movie the audience was into it take your kids it's a fun time yeah i'm gonna give it three stars too i thought it was i thought it was very well done um however unnecessary like that that was my my whole thought going into it when i heard they were going to do a toy story 4 my my thought was why you ended toy story 3 so perfectly to wrap up these characters story why would you ever want to do another one and then they did it and i've heard several people say you know we didn't know there was another story to be told with these characters until we heard what the story was and we watched the movie and i can see that a little bit especially kind of where it goes but I mean, nothing ties it up as well as Toy Story 3 did. But, um, but it, like you guys said, it was a really good movie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, the best part, by far, the best part of the movie was Ducky and Bunny. They were, they were hilarious. Key and Peele, I mean, yeah. That, that was a perfect use of those two, and it was great to see them back together. And, and Duke Kaboom as with Keanu Reeves, that was that was a great part too. There were so many great characters, and it, and it was a fun Toy Story movie, but it, like I said, overall unnecessary. It kind of felt like they were doing Toy Story two over again, but trying to change the outcome a little bit. Um, now that it's not Andy, that's kind of how it felt to me. It um, so a good movie, fun experience, unnecessary. That's what I'm going with. Uh, whatever. <laughs> that, that's all you got, Todd. I mean, I don't. I mean, I thought it was. It felt unnecessary early on, but I. I don't know. Where when you actually see where it's going, you you realize how important this actually is, especially to the characters. I. I don't. I think. I, I think it was totally necessary, and and you get sort of closure, and and leaves the characters in a good place. I think. But Todd, you're one of the biggest defenders of Toy Story 3. I mean, like, 
that movie ended so well and so many fans were happy with it and I mean this movie doesn't it's an it's enjoyable and pleasant but does it tarnish the legacy and and the and the perf- perfection that was Toy Story 3 knowing that there is a continuation like this no, I, I don't. I mean, I, I think I don't. I don't think it's a noticeable step down. Even I, I think this ending is different. It's not a perfect bow, but it it doesn't have to be. It's something different, and, it, and it's a little bit more challenging than the idea of the the third end, third one's ending. Let's see. Like it, Toy Story three ended. I was like, okay, that that what we can say. This is us saying goodbye to the characters as Andy says goodbye to the characters, and. And this is how we're going to end it. And then, oh, Toy Story 4, no, 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 no. This is, this is how we're going to end it. And in five years, we're going to be talking about Toy Story 5. Um, and, and they're, they're going to just run it into the ground. And, and we're going to be sitting here again saying the same thing. It's like, well, yeah, it was good, but why? And I, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's the way I felt about Toy Story 3 before. And I, 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 I was saying why even more than I was with this one. And just because that one was pretty much perfect we don't actually say the same thing because i think there's closure in toy story 2 as well but i don't know yeah that's true too but can you see can you see how this is kind of a retread of toy story 2 i mean instead of instead of the prospector you have gabby gabby and it's it's a it's woody tackling his what his role is and who he is and his identity and and what should he be loyal to you just have. I don't know. It just I think the existential crisis of of Forky is actually pretty fascinating. I I don't really th- trash. The movie isn't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I I don't. I don't, I, I don't know that. I mean, it, obviously, in the end, it is about Woody, but I I think the the addition of Forky brought something really different. I agree. I agree. I thought that was the best part of the movie was when Woody was trying to uh, deprogram him from. <laughs> his attachment to trash like the opening half hour was the was the best part in fact i almost wish the whole movie had just been that i didn't really need the other stuff because i i thought it was really funny I, the, the forky character was 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 pretty funny he was my favorite new character in in the toy story universe yeah forky was pretty good he was he was uh i heard a really interesting uh an interesting stat which is kind of speaks to the longevity of of toy story um as of right now when Toy Story 4 come, came out, Toy Story is older than Star Wars was when Phantom Menace came out. Yeah. Well, it's been... Well, it's been nine years, and then they had another 11-year gap mm-hmm. at one point. Like, It's been 24 years since, since Toy Story came out, and Star Wars was only 22 years old when Phantom Menace came out. It's kind of crazy to think about when you think of just how much time has passed. So I guess my sort of existential question, like like Woody's existential question about his place in the in the universe, is like, is this movie? You know, Pixar and Disney invested you know uh, tens of millions of dollars into this movie, and obviously they spent time on the script. And you know, we all agree it's it's a thrice approved movie. But would it have just been better for them to start? a new movie like a new movie franchise or like an original story because i think terry and i have these i think a similar qualm which is that why why continue this universe why not find something maybe a little bit more fresh i don't mean to mischaracterize you terry but i feel like that's we have a similar criticism of the movie no i that that's fair and i think the reason they 
I think this is a story you could have only told in a, in the Toy Story universe because you have to have that 24-year backstory and history with these characters to care about how it ends. I mean, it it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been as as meaningful of a of an ending if it had been brand new characters we were meeting for the first time. I think. So I, think I get about, I get that. But think about the the some of the Disney movies, the Disney Pixar movies of the last few years, like Coco and uh, Inside Out. I mean, those, some of the, those movies were so original and mm-hmm. so like thrill, and, and even like Zootopia. You know, like th- those universes were compelling and interesting, and and I thought it was much more um, enticing and exciting meeting new characters and new faces and. I don't know. This just felt like sort of a retread, like you said, Terry, of some of the elements of the first uh, first three Toy Story movies. And I just felt like, you know, if, if you're going to get these talented writers and these talented actors in the same room, why not come up with something fresh, as Disney has a track record of being successful at? I, I think right now they're kind of in this role of, of we'll try something new, then we'll revisit a, a franchise we already have, and then try something new and do something, do something else. Because, like, I mean, what was last year... Was last year Coco, or was that two no, years Coco ago? No, Coco was two years ago. So was last but, year I mean, Cars three? Is that what it was? No, I'm not. I, I don't, don't know. Think so. But I mean, this anyways. It, it you know it it didn't escape my head that this is the same year where we have the Aladdin remake, the Dumbo remake, the Lion King remake. So I mean, many Disney remakes and sequels. Yeah. I don't so, know. With Toy Story, know. it's different though. Like the the people at Pixar ha- have a lot of affection for these characters, and it's it's like good. Like someone like me, like I grew up with this these movies, and I've sort of like grown with these characters, and and somehow now the toys are maturing as well. So I don't know. It, it, I think it's good. I, I love checking in on these characters because I I care so much about them, and I feel like the Pixar people do as well, and that's why they might continue to keep doing them. And I think something else that we'll probably get into a little bit when we get into our power rankings as we're going to keep talking about sequels a little later on, is that right now in Hollywood you have so many sequels and so many remakes and so many reboots, um, and a lot of them are coming out of Disney, but I think one of the things that you can say for the most part about Disney is Disney waits until they know they have something good before they put it out. Where you have other other production companies and other franchises that are just saying, "Ooh, we got to throw out a sequel so we can make some money." Like I, I didn't see Men in Black International, but I heard it's terrible, and it's just one of those. Well, this is something everybody knows what it is. Let's throw one of those out there without worrying about whether it's good or not. And I think Disney cares that they put out quality, even when they're doing a remake or a reboot or a sequel or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with all that. And, and and let's be clear, we all we all like the movie. I like the movie, and uh, I think Todd really, you know, uh, crystallized why people go back to it is because you really like the characters and you've grown up with them. And this was a great experience for everyone watching it. But I don't know. I, I guess it's it, that's what I mean by like an existential question. I mean, you have to think of it outside outside the movie theater when when you leave, you know, and you've ex- you've uh, had fun watching it. Are there still deeper questions about maybe what what what, what could have been, but. I don't know. I, for the for the you know ninety five minutes watching this movie, it was very enjoyable and fun. No complaints at all. And even with everything we're saying, it is thrice approved. We're all saying uh, go see it, and and I think for for a lot of what we're saying here, that's why what is it ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now. So the over overwhelmingly people are loving this movie and uh, and enjoying the experience. So definitely go out and see Toy Story four if you haven't seen it already. 
Okay, well, we're going to continue to talk about uh, about Pixar and Disney because we're going to get into our spotlight segment now. Spotlight. And for our spotlight segment, uh, since we just talked about Toy Story 4 and talk about the influence of Pixar uh, and Disney, we are going to do our Mount Rushmore of Pixar films. And, uh, and so the way we do this is each of us put forth a, a non-negotiable that we are going to put on Mount Rushmore, and then we debate and try and come up with what our fourth one is going to be. So, uh, Zach, I'm going to go to you first. What is your, uh, your submission to the uh, Pixar Mount Rushmore? Oh, boy. Well, where do we start? I mean, Pixar movies are virtually all successful i mean there maybe with a couple of exceptions of some unmemorable films maybe some un, uh, you know uh, uneven films uh, une- uneven sequels um all these films are simply fabulous it's really hard to pick one that sticks with me i guess I-, I would say that growing up i was a lot more prone to watching and liking these movies than i am today as a hardened uh, adult um, it really takes something to go to a movie as a 32-year-old where there's a bunch of kids in the theater and, you know, I'm paying to see a Di- uh, Disney Pixar movie. So I actually gravitate towards some of the more recent Pixar films that really did uh, impact me on an emotional level. There's two of them that I can really think of, and I'm going to go with Inside Out as my nominee for, for the Mount Rushmore of Pixar films. Um I thought it was just a fabulous, totally original uh, concept. But I mean, it, it's part, partially influencing my opinion of Toy Story Four because if if Disney is capable, if Disney Pixar is capable of coming up with concepts like Inside Out, with such you know incredible. Uh, visual storytelling, great character development, great jokes, jokes that can, and, and, and humor that can be appreciated by both kids and adults. Um, and then also kind of fascinating in, insights into psychology and human growth and development. Um, if Disney is capable of doing that, I don't know why they have to rely so much on sequels and retreads and remakes. But um, I loved Inside Out. Um, I think Inside Out presents a viewpoint of uh, the human brain that I, I actually think has sort of deep implications. Um, and that makes the movie sound not fun and kind of boring which absolutely is totally fun and totally exciting to watch um, there's great voiceover work and i recently watched a uh fan edit of inside out uh just the riley scene so no scenes inside um of her of her head and it actually was surprisingly uh, interesting for 15 minutes so um yeah i love inside out one of the i think it's probably my favorite disney pixar movie and i saw it when i was you know 28 years old and i i loved it so a- absolutely wonderful film yeah, that that's a good one. That was one of the ones I was looking at too. I think right. it might be my highest rated uh, Pixar movie that I that I've ever seen too. Um, for for all the all the reasons that you said, and Pixar is at its best when it, like you said, it can be a a fun kids movie, but also appeal to the adults on a completely different level. And uh, and Inside Out is a perfect example of that. And honestly, most of Pixar's films do that. They, they're a fun movie for kids on the surface, but once you dig a little deeper, they have some really lasting impact and some uh, really fascinating themes. Um, and they don't really... Even though they, they go back to the, these sequels and some of the familiar franchises sometimes, I don't think they've ever... They've ever really just gone for it. Well, let's just throw a film out there to say we did it. Other than, I would say the one exception is Cars 2. 
Cars 2 is complete garbage and a complete money grab, and that's all you can say about it. Um, any any film where the, the primary character is someone voiced by Larry the Cable Guy becoming an uh, international spy, um, it is, yeah, yeah, you, you know you're not going to be taking anything away from that. Um, so, yeah, Inside Out was one of the ones I was looking at, so I was debating between two, so you took Inside Out, so I'm going to take WALL-E. Uh, WALL-E is one of my all-time favorite Pixar movies for a lot of the same reasons I was just talking about. It, it's a fun uh, movie on the surface for the kids. However, it has it's a it's such a sweet and and beautiful movie uh, as you dig down deep and it talks about how um, how we treat our environment and how we treat each other, how how uh, um, how technology can end up rule, ruling our lives. Uh, I love how the beginning of it it has like the first 20 minutes without any words being spoken. Um, and you really get this silent movie vibe to it that that kids don't necessarily understand. I remember seeing it and thinking it was like the most ingenious thing I'd ever seen. And I love 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 Wally. And uh, yeah, it was it, it. I would probably put Inside Out and Wally as my top two Pixar movies of all time. So if you're saying Inside Out, I'm gonna say Wally because I don't think I don't think Pixar's really gotten much better than those two. So Inside Out. Wally, Todd, where are you going? I mean, well, I I guess I'll just say Toy Story. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I mean, it's it's the gold standard. I think it's a pinnacle of all animated film, and and I think it's. I mean, the original is still the best one. I mean, the friendship stuff, the adventure, the flawless casting of voices. I I don't know. It's 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 a perfect movie, and I it would have to be on the Mount Rushmore, don't you? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's gotta absolutely. Be Yep, yep. If you didn't say it, it was going to be really easy to pick what the fourth one was going to be. Because, yeah, it, it started it all out. I mean, think about 24 years ago, Toy Story started. And, I mean, when when digital animation wasn't even even thought of yet, and they were making Toy Story. I think you could make a case, and I mean this in complete and total seriousness, that Toy Story might be the best script of any movie ever. Like, like, if you think about the structure of the story and the kind of obstacles that the characters have to overcome, I think if you're a screenwriting student and you want to learn how to write perfect three-act structures and character obstacles and motivations and, and conflicts, look at the script to Toy Story. It's, it's a virtually perfect script. And if oh, you look at all the talent that worked on that. <laughs> yeah. Andrew uh, Stanton, Pete Docter, Joss Whedon. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's well, and just look at the talent that's come out of Pixar, and they all started on that first film too. But but even even just looking at at impact of a of a of a movie on on culture and on cinema in general, I mean, I I mentioned before I, I listened to the Unspooled podcast, and I think um, the last time AFI put out a top 100 American movies of all time was 2007. I think if they were to put one out now. I think it's pretty safe to say that Toy Story would have to be in the top ten of all of greatest American movies of all time because Ooh, I don't know about the just top because 10, just but... because of uh, not only for what you said of it being a perfect script but also its impact on 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 society on film in general. Um, it it I, I don't know I I would I would be one that would that would lobby for that. Yeah, well, I I also I guess I should say. 
I, I teach script writing to, to students. And whenever we start with script writing and talking about stories, the one example I always bring up, in part because everyone has seen it, and in part because it's perfect, is Toy Story. It's, it's the perfect screenplay to teach in terms of how to construct a story. And that, that's, not even ta- that's not even addressing the, the, the impact of, in terms of the CGI of Toy Story. I mean, when that movie, I remember when that movie came out, everyone was just obsessed with how long and how painstaking it was to make the characters look so real and have the animation so smooth, and it still looks great today. By the way, Toy Story 4 looked... I thought pretty awesome too. That, yeah, that was really well. Yeah, done. Yeah, the level of animation they're they're dealing with now is crazy. Like the the scene where they're trying to rescue RC, like I that did not look animated at all. That looked like like a, a rain shower in a in a driveway. Like it's it's insane how good how accurate their animation is. I mean, it takes like five years for them to make the movies. I guess you can see why. So okay, we, so we now need a fourth stuck. one. Yeah, so we've got we've got Inside Out, we've got Wally, we've got Toy Story. Where are we going for our fourth one? Well, we've got a Pete Doctor movie. We have an Andrew Stanton movie, and then Toy Story. So you could go with a Brad Bird movie, but I don't really think those are as good. What like I Incredibles? No, don't Incredibles put and Ratatouille. Ratatouille. No, 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 no. Um, I tend to I tend to think the next best movies are Up and Toy Story three. So. I, I would I, submit one of those. Up, up, I'd, I'd be all right with. Um, I think if we're talking just like best movies, then then yeah, Up and and Toy Story three would would need to be in there. Uh, if we're gonna talk just like importance and impact, I, I I have a toddler at home, and the fact that Pixar is the one that created Cars has given him so much joy. <laughs> And it's it's it that that is a, a franchise that really will never end because of what it's been able to do just in in toy manufacturing. I mean, he has hundreds of cars, cars. So I I would I would argue cars could could be on the Mount Rushmore simply because of of its importance and lasting impact for kids. Um, but if we're talking movies in general, they're not the greatest movies, but they're they're solid. Except for Cars 2. Um, yeah, and, and I'm just going to have to throw one other one out that we haven't said. It's the, only, it, it's the one that I was debating between Inside Out and this one, and it's the only Pixar movie that came very close to, to bringing me to tears because I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful movie. I was very emotionally moved by it, and, that, and I know Todd's going to disagree with me, and that is Coco. Yep. I, I absolutely loved Coco. And Coco yep. would be my my nomination for the fourth film because I think it, it's a it's such a beautiful um, story and the songs. I mean, remember me. I mean, how can you you know argue against that? I, I love that song. I I love that film. It it's a virtually perfect film. It was a magical experience watching that in a theater. I agree with that too. Coco's amazing. I I, I can't sign off on that. <laughs> well, I can't sign off on a Brad Bird film. I was I was never a big fan of his his films, and honestly, I I know I'm sound kind of heartless, but I can't really sign off on Up either. I love I love the first ten minutes of Up, but then the rest of the movie it seems kind of cartoony. I've never really loved it in that same fashion. But first ten minutes of Up, sure. I mean, if if we're gonna cheat, the know. first ten minutes of Up might be the best ten minutes that Pixar's ever done. That's true, but no, but see, everyone says that, and no one ever talks about the rest of the movie because, frankly, yeah. it isn't all that great. 
I wouldn't agree with that. I think I, I really like pretty much all of Up. I, I think it's like a weird reimagining of The Wizard of Oz. I, I, I think it's a great movie. That's an but I, I mean, I, I also think Pete Docter is like the best thing that Pixar has. Like he, his movies are so emotionally resonant, resonate so so greatly. And like uh, even Monsters Inc. would be uh, that was his other one. That's another one that's like really mature and at the same time as really funny. Yeah, Monsters Inc. is a good one too. Okay. Well, 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 we need to come to some consensus here. I mean, there's so many to choose from. It's it's hard. I think we have a great top three, but we need the fourth one. Maybe maybe do we throw this out to Twitter to tw- Twitter followers? Make it a, a you know Twitter question. We could do that. We could put forth like four options and put it on Twitter and see what they say. Yes, exactly. All of our fans, like Adam Daly. Exactly. What about something like Finding Nemo? We haven't mentioned Finding Nemo at all. Yeah, we haven't mentioned that. That's that's a solid pick, especially if you're talking about kind of classic Pixar movies that have right. aged pretty well and still have a huge following. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Finding Nemo is great, but it is. Uh, it's really watchable and really really fun. I I could be okay with putting that on there. Yeah, it's it's the one Albert Brooks movie I like. <laughs> Other than, you know, Drive. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, I, I guess I should... Yeah, okay. It's so the one Albert Brooks character I can watch and not want, not want to kill myself. Or throw myself in the trash can like Forky. Trash? <laughs> okay, um, so so let's put it to a vote. Let, let's put it out there and see what everybody else thinks. So so uh, let's get four options. So we're going to say... We're going to say Coco. We're going to say... Um, up finding nemo finding nemo and toy cars story three or toy story three i don't think you can have a mount rushmore with toy story and toy story three that's kind of what i'm thinking with, too with, with with all the great films that pixar has come out with but you can't have a mount rushmore with cars either no i i would agree with that cars shouldn't shouldn't be on that list okay so do we want to just leave it at, at three coco while uh coco up and uh finding nemo sure i like it or we could or monsters inc want to throw that on there nah okay just a three so so we'll we'll uh i'll post that on on twitter you can go and and vote for what will be the fourth movie on uh on the pixar mount rushmore between coco up and finding nemo honestly i'd be really uh, i'd be okay with any of those getting on there um, I'd probably put them in that order, Coco up and Finding Nemo, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We could potentially have the Mount Rushmore, and the two Best Picture nominees are probably not going to be on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Green Book did just win Best Picture, so I mean, the credibility of the Oscars maybe not, you know, well questionable. Well, and everyone says in 2008, Toy Story wasn't even nominated for Best. Toy Story what was not nominated for Best Picture, and. You know, Sense and Sensibility was, and, you know, <laughs> so was Babe, but not Toy Story. No. Well, and everyone says in 2008, you know, 2008 is the year that created the expanded Best Picture lineup, and everyone points to Dark Knight. Dark Knight should have been nominated, but Wally was right there, too. Wally was going right. to be one of those, one of those, uh, in the next, the, those were sixth and seventh, everyone thinks. So, uh, so Wally should have been a Best Picture nominee. And I don't think Up or Toy Story 3 would have been Best Picture nominees if there were only five. So, anyways. 
Coco up, Finding Nemo. Those are your options. Uh, and as soon as the uh, podcast is posted, that question will be posted on Twitter, and uh, we'll go over the results uh, on the next podcast. Sound good? Excellent. Sure. Cool. All right. Although it is kind of worth noting that two out of three of us lean toward Coco. I'm just gonna put that. Up. Just gonna put that out there. Two out of three of us also lean towards up too, though. <laughs> well, wait. How does that make sense? Because I lean towards both of them. <laughs> I'm good with either one. I think the one that all of us are like equally okay on is Finding Nemo. That's why it's on there. Finding Nemo is the one all of us will say, "Eh, okay." And then and, two. And none of us. None of us want Cars Two on there. No. We can agree on no. that. Yeah. Not Cars 2. Okay. Let's uh let's move into power rankings now. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And for power rankings, we're going to continue kind of on a similar topic, but, but twist it a little bit here. Um, because uh, on the last, last time we did power rankings, uh, I won. No, I didn't win. We all kind of tied. And we were gonna, that's right. We were going to do a, a mid-year top five, but uh, then we started doing podcasts every week. So we decided to hold that off for, for a week or two. And since uh, I got the closest to winning because yeah i got to pick the topic so todd what what is our point total now what is this bizarre messed up point total for the three of us now okay i'm in the lead with 13.3 and then zach has 8.1 uh terry with 7.3 and ben still has 0.3 which we should have had him distribute on the last one but we didn't we should have missed opportunity missed opportunity Okay, so I was nominated to come up with the topic, and in in honor of Toy Story 4, uh, our topic for Power Rankings this week is uh, Top 5 Unwanted Sequels. So these are the sequels that when you heard about them, you went, oh, why are they doing that? Now, this could be, this could be a good movie. It could be a bad movie. It is all about the expectation. Going into it, were you saying, oh man, why, why are we having another one of these? Um, and so that, that's what we're looking at here. Top five unwanted sequels. That is interesting, because that is not the way I interpreted this list. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that's, but that's okay. okay that, that's okay, that's okay. It'll, we'll see how it ends up going then. Um, all right, so I am going to go first. And uh, this was a really interesting list to come up with. Uh, there were some franchises where I was going through and I was having having trouble picking which sequel I was going to focus on <laughs> from a franchise. Um, and uh, I came up, ended up coming up with a list of oh about a dozen sequels that uh, that I had to narrow down. So number five on my list is a film from 2008, and it is The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Uh, the first uh, the first Mummy movie uh, starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz, uh, I really enjoyed. I thought it was really good, really dark. Uh, and the, then the sequel came out I was really excited for. In fact, the sequel, The Mummy Returns, 
was actually the first DVD I ever owned. Because it was right around then, when that movie came out, that I got, uh, that we got our first DVD player. But, um, I, I really liked that movie, too. It was getting a little corny. It, it, it had a similar feel to the first one. And then, uh, it, it was, it was starting to lose some stuff as it was setting up a, a spinoff into the Scorpion King with the Rock. Uh, and so, uh, when it ended, it's like, okay, well, that, that was a good, you know, quit while you're ahead. And then in 2008, The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor came out with Brendan Fraser. Uh, Rachel Weiss at this point was a, uh, was a, uh, Oscar winner, and so she wanted to have nothing to do with this, so Maria Bello took her spot. Uh, the, uh, the main bad guy is played by Jet Li. Uh, th- this movie, I honestly I haven't even seen it yet because it was one that when I when I heard about, it, I was like, oh no, no no no, please no, oh man. And so th- it's there's several that I'm going to talk about that I haven't even seen, but part of why I haven't seen it is because they made me roll my eyes so much when I heard about them. So number five on my list is the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. All right. Solid choice. I have not seen it either. Yeah. <laughs> and you like the first two also, didn't you, Todd? Yeah. Yeah. To an extent. Yeah. They were fun. The first one was really good. The first one was really good. Uh, okay, Todd, we're going to go to you next. Number five. All right, for number five, I went with uh, G.I. Joe Retaliation. Now, the first one, like Rise of the Cobra, whatever it was called, was pretty horrible so much so i didn't even watch this one uh, i think the, the trailer was really bad and i and the original was sort of a relative flop too so i don't i don't and given the talent involved in the budget i don't really see how this was ever greenlit and i think it's a it's a classic example of just a cash grab and a half-baked sequel idea and no one really was calling for it and i don't really know anyone that actually saw it i'm really i i just i don't think anybody wanted another gi joe movie I haven't seen any of the G.I. Joe movies, so... Or else I may have thought of that one. But I remember when that one came out, there was... There were issues with it. And then they had to do reshoots because there wasn't enough Channing Tatum or something, and... Yeah. I, I heard that one was a mess from what I remember hearing. Yeah. Okay. Zach, number five. Okay, so so I'm I misinterpreted this list a little bit. I still have really bad sequels, but I I didn't realize that. Well, number one, that you didn't have to have seen the movie. So all the sequels <laughs> I chose, I've actually sadly seen, and there are so many sequels out there that I just avoided. So it was actually kind of difficult to think of, you know, sucky sequels that I actually sat down and watched. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to think about was, you know, not just a cash grab, like uh, unnecessary. You know, like the first, really, what what in Influenced my list was that the first movie must have really ended well or had a really good resolution that we don't we don't need to see a continuation of the characters' lives, you know. And um, it's in in some of these films, it's actually painful to watch because it really ruins the authenticity of the of the first movie. It's kind of like how Quentin Tarantino says that in his top twenty films of nineteen ninety two to two thousand nine, you know, he would have put the Matrix higher up had it not been for the sequels. So um, anyway. That's just a long way, long-winded way of saying I, I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, I have a three-way tie at number five <clears throat> because it's three sequels from the same franchise that I thought were totally unnecessary and uh, borderline like 
actually falling asleep worthy watching it. And that is the sequels to The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games Catching Fire, The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1, and The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. And I thought these sequels were totally unnecessary. I realized they followed the book series, but... I loved the first Hunger Games. I mean, Loki, when it came out, it was my number one movie of 2012. And I still love that movie. I, I think it's it, it, it's great. It's fantastic. It has a great premise. Yeah, okay, it's a little bit of a ripoff. It's a little derivative. But, like, it, it was a really well-done movie with great performances, memorable characters. And so, like, I guess I, I would have to say I was sort of excited to return to the characters. But um, really, in kind of descending order, those the three sequels were pretty terrible and borderline unwatchable, especially making it tragic was that it was some of the last uh, performances of Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was kind of wasted in the movies. And um, I don't know, they just got kind of worse and worse. We talked about, you know, repeating the same sort of premise with the Toy Story sequels. Well, the Hunger Games did, the, the Hunger Games, the, the second one did exactly the same premise as the first movie. Okay, so Catching Fire had no originality. And then the problem with Mockingjay, besides the fact that it was a cash grab and separated into two movies, was that we just, at that point, we didn't, we didn't really care enough about the characters to, to know about their extended universe and their extended battle with you know president snow or anything like that so um an all-star cast wasted just pretty bad movies and especially by that end of the of the second movie just unwatchable i'm pretty sure i fell asleep by the end of mockingjay part two so a three-way tie i know it's breaking the rules but terrible sequels yeah no i i agree i actually haven't seen mockingjay part two yet but i've read the books and uh and yeah, the the first one is so good because you don't need a sequel. No, yeah, it's so it's good perfect. because of its simplicity and what it is, and and moving moving forward, it turns into something that is so far off of what made the first one so good that um that yeah, it just ruin ruins it. That's not gonna be on my list because with it being the series, you knew that that's those sequels were coming, but uh, but I agree completely unwon- unneeded sequels for sure. I just think Catching Fire is better than the original, but whatever. Yeah, there were there were people that said that when it came out. My wife is one of them. And um, I just don't get that. I, I feel like it's the exact same movie and uh, yeah, it's just... I, I, I know that to a certain extent, you know, people... I mean, the movie made so much money that of course there's going to be a sequel, right? But the first movie was just so great, you know. It was like it was like when when you're making sequels, you know, you got one of two paths: either just do a total retread of the original, or do something completely different. And they did essentially both those options with the, with the sequels, and they both failed pretty miserably. So, I don't know. All right, not not worth your time. Yeah. All right, number four on my list. I am going to go uh, with a uh, with a movie from a film franchise that there are now eight movies in this uh in this franchise and i'm not going with the last one i'm going with one somewhere in the middle um and uh it is uh it is the rocky franchise uh now i'm i'm too i'm too young to to know when when like the first five movies came out uh i i saw them when i was a little a little older so uh or else i probably say rocky five because rocky five is a horrible horrible movie um but after after they made the the dumpster fire that was Rocky Five, and I don't know what in Sylvester Stallone's brain made him decide that 16 years later he needed to go back and fight another fight as Rocky Balboa in the film Rocky Balboa. 
So the 2006 film Rocky Balboa is my number four on my list. I actually really like this movie. It is a it is a movie that um, that actually did a lot of really good things, um, and it, it it really brought closure to this character in a lot better way than Rocky Five did. However, it is a it it was a movie that when it first when they announced that it was coming out, I just didn't want to didn't want to deal with it. It was not. It didn't sound good. They couldn't even bring back Talia Shire to play Adrian for this one. Uh, it was it was just a movie that was this is so unwanted and unnecessary, and it turned out to be really really good. I think I even gave it three and a half stars. Um, and then the the Creed movies have come out since then, and I haven't seen Creed Creed two yet, but I really liked Creed, um, which seemed like a really interesting twist on the franchise. But I remember when Rocky Balboa was announced, it was like okay, this is. This is a cash grab right here. This is just uh, Sylvester Stallone needing to revisit the one character that uh, that actually brought him some notoriety. So, uh, number four on my list is a movie I actually liked, but unwanted going into it. 2006 is Rocky Balboa. So how could it be unwanted or unneeded if you liked it? Like I said, it's all about the expectation for me. So going into it, I was I, this felt like a movie that I didn't need. And it turned out to be really good. <laughs> I feel like when you were I, describing that, I, I really thought like it, it made it seem like you were talking about the Rambo movie that he came out with like right around the same time. Well, there's like, that I don't too. Think anybody wanted Rambo? No, I I, ha- I actually haven't seen any of the Rambo movies, but uh, or else that would probably be on the list too. But um, but no, uh, yeah, Rocky Balboa is the is the one I was talking about, and it, yeah, it. It didn't sound good, but it ended up being really good. All right, Todd, number four. All right, number four is definitely a personal choice for me. It's a uh, Wreck Four Apocalypse, and so the, the these movies I really like the first two. I they're in both in my top twenty scary movies of all time. And the third leg was so stupid. It was like saw the final chapter kind of thing where they try to tie everything together and it really didn't work. And then, like, the next year, they had the fourth one already coming out. And the last thing I wanted to do was watch a movie where it's going to screw it up even further. And, honestly, it, it actually got more back to its roots, and it made a lot more sense. And it's a, it's actually a pretty good movie. But, like, going in, I was like, I wasn't expecting anything. I didn't want to watch it, but I kind of had to watch it because I really love these movies. And, I don't know, I, I, I'm glad that this one actually was the end of it. And not the one that tried to be all, I mean, that, that tried to wrap it all up. Yeah, yeah, but the record movies are really good, and the fourth one is okay, but I really didn't want to watch it when it came out. Alright, I have not seen those at all, so. Alright, Zach, number four. Okay, so, um, you know, again, we have different interpretations of of this list. I, I guess the way I interpreted this list was... Um, a movie that th- the original was so good that the the sequel just sort of kind of ruined things or just was it was a path with the characters that you just didn't need to see and it just kind of ruined the mythology of the original. Yeah, tarnished so, the legacy. Tarnished the perfect wording. Thank you. So uh, my number four movie is the sequel to a movie that I have in my top 100 that is a blatantly sentimental pick. Uh, but I grew up with this movie, and I grew up loving it, and I grew up loving the girl in it, uh, and that was Ange Kolomsky, and the movie was My Girl, and my number four on this list is My Girl 2, 
which was a totally unnecessary sequel to what is, I think, a sort of perfect uh, movie. And in My Girl 2, Veda Saltenfuss, one of the great uh, movie kids of all time and the first girl I had a crush on, uh, she's growing up and... Um, you know, she's lost her friend Thomas J. Macaulay Culkin because he was making bigger movies at that point. And in My Girl 2, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember that she goes to like Los Angeles to find, you know, information about her mother. And she meets up with her uncle, who was this kind of funny side character in the original movie and is just obnoxious and annoying in the second. And, you know, the, the, the charm of the original My Girl is how dark Veda Saltenfuss is. You know, she's, she's, a, uh, she's paranoid. She's a hypochondriac. She lives in this very dark uh, world of a mortuary and dead people. And um, the second movie was just uh, so sentimental and so, like, crass, too. And uh, the, the, the other thing that I really, really remember about the second movie is she has a boyfriend in the second movie. And he's played by Austin O'Brien, who was a big kid actor in the 90s. And, like, there is no way that this kid competes on any level with Macaulay Culkin in the original <laughs> My Girl. Okay, Veda Saltonfuss and Tom- Thomas J. were, like, lifelong friends for life. And this new kid coming in, and he's, like, looking at her mood ring, and then he, she, he, he takes it off in a scene that I think is painful, okay, and then throws it into the tar pit, but, oh, it's just a joke. I mean, that, that's actually a painful scene for me to watch, knowing how much I love the original My Girl. So, a totally unnecessary movie. Anna Klumski, I mean, great. I was in love with her. In the 90s growing up she's the best thing about the movie but other than that the movie is totally disposable and i choose not to think of it in the uh, my girl universe so my girl 2 number four have either of you even seen the original my girl i mean no. one of the great 90s movies i think i may have seen it when i was a little kid i've se- i know i've seen parts of it i don't know if i've ever seen the whole thing wow wow well she was she was my first crush i i loved that girl awesome okay Number three on my list is, uh, I'd say, kind of, kind of along the lines of what uh, of what you're talking about, Zach, of of a film kind of tarnishing a legacy, um, and uh, it's one where the original, when it came out, I really loved uh, loved the original in this, and then the sequel came out, and it was it was okay, but I could see where it was going, and then came 2015's Minions. That is my Ooh. number three. Uh, I love Despicable Me. Despicable Me was such a great movie, and it did something so original uh, and so cool with the character of Gru, um, and uh, and and looked at looked at this similar uh, this kind of retread of a story just in this different light that was really cool. And then uh, Despicable Me Two was okay. Uh, it it it. it had kind of like what I was saying with the mummy. It had enough of the original stuff to be to uh, to be good, but you could kind of start to see where it was going. And I think I even wrote a review for the website uh, on Despicable Me Two and said it's good, but I'm scared because they're they're starting to focus way too much on the minions. And the minions, instead of just being kind of this comic uh, supporting thing in the background are starting to become a focal point and then a couple years later sure enough we had a minions movie and this is still a movie i haven't seen but uh it it just made me so upset when i heard that they were actually going to do it because it was it was tarnishing everything they did well in the first one by coming out with a minions movie and and ever since that i haven't seen despicable me 3 I just saw they're going to come out with a with another Minions movie, 
uh, next year, the rise of Gru, and and it just make it just makes me sad that they that they ruined such a great uh, a great animated movie in Despicable Me with all these unnecessary sequels. Um, the the second one was okay, but now it, it's it's getting it's getting ridiculous and getting really tired. So uh, number three on my list is Minions. Dude, your your son loves those movies. I, I realize that. I realize and if you're going to make a case for cars being on the damn Mount Rushmore, then how can you say Minions is that uh, atrocious of an idea for a sequel? Yeah, yeah because, it's, because it's also I'm also saying, I'm sequel, also saying so. Cars 2 is garbage. <laughs> but Cars, yeah, no, yeah, no. It, it's, it, that's a decent comparison, but... And, and I guess you could say it's a it's a spin-off. I don't really care. I'm going with it anyways. But uh I kind of think all the Despicable Me movies are kind of terrible anyway, so I didn't ever even watch Minions. Oh, wow. I, I love I love the first one. The first one's so good. Yeah. Anyways. Alright, Todd, number three. Okay, number three for me is American Psycho Two All American Girl. <laughs> uh it has to be yes. the most head scratching oh, yeah. oh, yeah. sequel idea I could ever imagine. Like, Patrick Bateman's such an interesting character, and for some reason, like, or, I don't know, well, I guess he's the, re- yeah, he's the reason why the, the first movie was so good, and so they make a sequel without that character's involvement whatsoever, other than that it's just in the same universe or something. It's kind of, I mean, I, it's just, they only attach that name to the movie just, just so that they can, I don't know, so it's not just a stupid, like, serial killer movie. And I don't know. The story honestly isn't all that horrible, and the movie isn't that bad. But I can't imagine how this actually got made. I mean, I, I, I it went straight to video in 2002, so I guess there's at least some justice there. But I don't know. I, I, I honestly do not know anybody that would have been asking for an American Psycho 2 without Patrick Bateman. Well, and wasn't the wasn't the production of that movie just just horrific too? Like, like isn't it Mila Kunis right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and she signed on signed on to it before it was even being billed as an American Psycho two, like that was an afterthought. It was like they they came out with they they were saying okay we're gonna make this movie about this and then like halfway through production they're like oh let's make it a sequel to American Psycho. Yeah, we'll just throw on a line about her like sleeping with Patrick Bateman or something. Like that's the only <laughs> connection it has to the first one. Uh, yeah. That that's a good one. That's a good one. All right, Zach, number three. All right, well, number three on my list is, um, so like you know, my girl too. I mean, for for all the ways that I trash it, it's not a, a completely unwatchable film. I just don't like the way that the character is developed in it. My number three film is from a franchise that I don't really even like that much, um, and it's just a film that I find really unwatchable. So it's not like it actually really tarnished much because it wasn't going off much to begin with. It's just, I, 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 I watch it and my mouth is like open at how terrible that it is, and that is Vegas Vacation, the final film in the vacation, uh, what do you, what's what's the word for four four film? It's not trilogy, but uh, quadrilogy. I don't know. Something like that. Um, yeah, something saga. like that. Okay, so it's it's saga. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's uh, easily the worst film in the vacation saga, and it's also the worst film ever made about Vegas. 
It is totally unfunny. It is with uh, Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo and Randy Quaid, so the whole gang is all there. And of course, they have uh, their, their kids, Rusty and Audrey, who are played by different actors because it seems like they're played by different actors in every installment of the Vacation series. Um, and uh, gosh, the gags. Well, okay, put it this way. He, he, I, I can sum up what everything that is terrible about this movie. This is a movie that was rated PG. That should tell you everything you need to know about Vegas Vacation. It was rated PG, okay? The gags are terrible. I mean, it's like the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, South Park would make fun of, okay? Or like, I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's just so incredibly unfunny. I mean, really, one of the recurring gags in the movie, if I remember correctly, is that Chevy Chase uh, feels the need to beat uh, Wallace Shawn, and Wallace Shawn is a card dealer. And, uh, like, that that's like one of the recurring jokes in the movie. He keeps on going back to his card table. Like, give me a break. There's another dramatically unfunny sequence when uh, Clark Griswold goes on stage to a Siegfried and Roy um, show, and uh, he disappears, and then he comes out in a tiger's cage. Like, Okay, yeah, that's so funny. You know, you're going to make a movie about Vegas. Let's make a serious movie, okay? The first vacation movie, okay, it's pretty funny. It's dated, whatever. But you got these comic talents. You got the National Lampoon name. Oh, by the way, actually, you don't have it because the movie is called Vegas Vacation. National Lampoon didn't even put their name on this movie is how terrible it is. And uh, it's just a, it's a disgrace to all humanity, and it is a disgrace to the greatest city in the world, Las Vegas. Everyone should just disown it. Awful. I think I think the the most recent sequel is even worse than Vegas Vacation. Like that garbage with. Uh, there's a there's a more recent one. The Ed Helms. Yeah, one. Ed Helms is, oh. uh, is grown up oh, rusty. Yeah, I remember that. No, that's not as bad as Vegas Vacation because at least that was R rated. I think. I don't think it was. Maybe it was. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like Vegas Vacation is like a movie made by Mormons. Like it is so like pure and clean. There's like no profanity in it. There's nothing in it at all. It's like it's a movie that was made by like Jack Valenti's Secret Police or something. Like it, it was a it, it was marketed as like a family movie. You know, yeah, a movie in the National Lampoon series about Las Vegas. Uh, just a terrible concept and uh, a, a disgrace on every level. All right. Are you sure that's the last one? I could see coming out with a with another one in in a couple years. Starring Chevy Chase. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I guess that's true. And they would have to... <laughs> maybe, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe Anthony Michael Hall could come back as as the son. That that would be one way that I would see it, is if Anthony Michael Hall came back as Rusty from, from the original. Or maybe Juliette Lewis from Christmas Vacation. By the way, Loki, I really don't like the Vacation movies that much. I mean, it, it's not like it's tarnishing... I, I don't think any of those movies are that funny, especially not Christmas Vacation. I don't know why people consider it a great Christmas movie, but... It's it, it's topped off in its awfulness by Vegas Vacation. All right. Moving on, number two on my list is actually a movie I really really like, um, and it actually made my top ten of last year. But uh, it was it was probably the biggest surprise of last year, um, and that is Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Uh, I remember when I heard about this movie and saw a trailer for this movie after after seeing um you know you had uh spider-man homecoming with tom holland and you had you know avengers infinity war already out and then oh we're coming out with another spider-man movie but this one's animated i felt 
what 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 in the world are we doing why why in the world would we be doing this and and we couple months earlier we had venom come out and now we're gonna have a another an animated spider-man and and there's a spider ham we're going there what in the world is going on and why would any i i felt like i was watching like i i always i always give adam crap on this for for animated batman i felt like oh this is gonna be like the first in in the animated spider-man movies because there's all the the straight to video animated batman movies is why why are we even dealing with this and then it turned out to be like the best animated film of last year and one of the most original animated films uh in a while and uh, and all that but i remember going into it i i was like what in the world are we doing with this why in the world nobody is asking for another spider-man reboot that makes four reboots in the last 20 years of the same character. We don't need it. However, this one was really amazing and probably the most original Spider-Man we've had. But all that said, I didn't even see it at first until I started hearing everybody talk about it and it was going nuts. I said, I guess I better see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and it turned out to be amazing. But I, I hated the concept of it completely. So number two on my list is Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. All right, well, my number two is going in a, a similar way to that. I have uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, the Mad mm. Max movies are really fun, and Mel Gibson is definitely in his element in those movies, but the franchise has been gone for 30 years, and I had absolutely no interest in the movie uh, when it was announced. I, I thought it sounded like a stupid idea, and it was destined to fail. I know the budget was huge. I thought it was going to flop. And but for some reason, we're in the age of bringing back old franchises, usually for nostalgia, and the original actors are usually in it, but that's not the case here. It's like a almost a reboot, or at least like a James Bond-type thing, where the continuous storyline doesn't necessarily matter, and they can recast the main guy. Uh, I was obviously dead wrong, because the movie is a delight, and the best in the franchise, And but uh, going in, I wanted nothing to do with it. I thought it. I thought it looked dumb, but when I watched it, I was just like, yeah, this is awesome, and I could actually see why it exists now. All right. All right. Number two, Zach. Did you see some, uh, by the way, did you see some parallels between the character of Bo Peep in Toy Story 4 and uh, Furi Furiosa in Mad Max uh, Fury Road? Somewhat. I mean, you know, she's like a, ba a badass living on her own. She has her own vehicle, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I had that, seen that comparison, yeah. too. It makes sense, but I didn't think of that. Uh, is is that all it takes to have to to draw comparisons? Is they have their own car? I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's a badass too. I mean, in the live action version of Toy Story Four, she'd be played by Charlie Theron, right? Probably, probably. All right, Zach. Number okay. two. I'm sorry, our lists are so inconsistent. I, I I guess I'm just now going on sequels that I thought were shit. That's but, fine. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> So, I mean, I wasn't old enough to remember when they announced my number two uh, worst sequel, I guess. Um, so I don't know what, what my thoughts would have been. But uh, it is the sequel to a movie that I have in my top 30 of all time. And that is 1996's The Evening Star, which is the sequel to Terms of Endearment. Now, believe it or not, I've actually read the book The Evening Star because I went through a Larry McMurtry phase in my life when I was in high school. And I read like 20 of his books. And The Evening Star is actually not a bad book. It's sort of an interesting book that's much more kind of introspective about the character of Aurora Greenway uh, growing old and sort of her regrets in life and uh, 
it, actually, it's not too dissimilar from Woody in Toy Story 4. She finds her, her, her place. The, the uh, movie, The Evening Star, however, is an absolute mess. Um, I bet when they announced that it, it was coming out, um, I bet there might have been some excitement about it because they got Shirley MacLaine back and they got Jack Nicholson back, and he plays a prominent role in the trailer to The Evening Star. Unfortunately, he's only in about five minutes of the movie, if I remember correctly, of a movie that is two hours and ten minutes long, by the way. Way too long for any movie. Um, and yeah, I, uh, if I remember correctly, again, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it deals with Aurora Greenway dealing with her grandkids who she raises after uh, the Deborah Winger character dies at the end of Terms of Endearment, and the, and the grand, grandkids have all grown up now, and they're all basically assholes. They're all really just terrible people. Juliette Lewis is, is, the, is, the, is the daughter, or the, the granddaughter, I guess. Um, Miranda Richardson is in the movie. I'm not really sure why. And then, most ridiculously of all... Aurora Greenway has an affair with, oh, you guessed it, Bill Paxton, who plays her therapist. Yes. Uh, so an inconceivable story, as you could possibly believe, an unbearable, long journey. Um, I love Terms of Endearment. I cannot imagine why anyone would have wanted to make a continuation of that movie, especially considering how perfect the, la- the, the, the last scene and the resolution is in Terms of Endearment. I bet fans were excited in 1996, but uh, without James L. Brooks's involvement, um, the project just is flat and terrible. Uh, again, a laughably bad entry that uh, I think really ruins the mystique of, I think, one of the best movies of the 1980s. All right. All right. I have not seen that. Me neither. <clears throat> best to avoid it. Okay. All right. Number one on my list is actually also a movie I haven't seen. Um, this was one uh, before we uh, before we did this, I was joking around with Zach. This one might be on my list. and uh, And sure enough, it's number one. Number one on my list is 2013's A Good Day to Die Hard. Um, John McClane, Die Hard movies, they're some of my favorite movies. Uh, The first Die Hard, I say, is possibly the greatest action movie ever made. Um, Die Hard 2 is is just as good. Uh, Die Hard 3, uh, it definitely, it, it took a little break before it got to it, but it was definitely a good story. Uh, then they rebooted it uh, in uh, in 2007 with Live Free or Die Hard, which is still a fun movie. It, it's it's a it's a decent film. Um, it's not I, quite. I don't know if you would necessarily say it's John McClane anymore. They're just using the Die Hard name. The one problem with Live Free or Die Hard is it's a PG-13 movie, and it, there's no way you can make John McClane PG-13. But anyways. That's why you should have had that one as your number one. Like, no, because I, li- I liked it, and I, I was excited it for it when it, it came out. But I was excited for Live PG-13, Free or Die Hard bro. when it came out. Even though it was PG-13, yeah, it was okay. But then we get to A Good Day to Die Hard. And and let me read you the, the uh, synopsis on IMDb of A Good Day to Die Hard. John McClane travels to Russia. I don't even need to go any further. John McClane travels to Russia. Who wants to see John McClane in Russia? And, and it turns out his son is in the CIA. Uh, no no one cares. No one wants to see John McClane in Russia. I, I, I mentioned this before. If you want to ruin a franchise, if you want to destroy a franchise, send its main character to either like Russia or Japan and it will destroy your franchise. There is nothing good that can come from this movie. Everyone trashed on it when it came out. 
I still haven't seen it because I want to preserve good John McClane in my head and not just Bruce Willis looking for a money grab. Uh, so, number one, A Good Day to Die Hard. It's even a terrible title. I mean, come on. <laughs> a Good Day to Die Hard? Really? Uh, that's it's my pretty bad one. movie. Yeah. I should see it eventually, just so I could agree. It's got a 28 on Metacritic. Yeah. Okay. Todd. Isn't that J- what Jay Courtney in that? Isn't that the yep, son? Is yep, it, that's the son. It was another one of the movies that they were trying, or franchise they were trying to pass over to him, and never worked. Yep, exactly. All right, Todd, number one. All right, number one for me. It was so obvious when you said it. I was like, I know exactly what it is, and that's the Bronx Bull. I who wanted a sequel to Raging Bull? Like, <laughs> it's thirty years after. There's no involvement from Schrader, Scorsese, Pesci, or De Niro. The first telling the story had closure anyway. I mean, I get the idea of wanting to uh, tell part of a from like a about his childhood because that's one of the best parts of the book *Raging Bull*. But they shamelessly do it in this way and it, it just bill it as a sequel. They're like trying to like ruin *Raging Bull* and strangle everything we love about it. I don't know. The movie isn't a disaster, but it has no reason to exist. I, it's the most ill-advised sequel idea ever. I don't think there's really any debate about that. And there's only like 400 people that voted on IMDb on it. It's like, nobody watched it because it's so stupid. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. Alright. Zach, I don't even know how it's considered a sequel, but it is listed as a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Zach, number one. Alright, so my number one is uh, a tie. I I have to put it as a tie between two sequels that... Uh, for different reasons are truly awful and but i do think they 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 meet what your list is getting at which is why were they ever made in the first place uh it's just bad concept uh bad at a conceptual level and that is home alone 2 and home alone 3 now obviously (laughs) there was going to be a sequel to home alone there always was because it made so much money um but if you're going to make a sequel to Home Alone, let's hire like the Pixar people because apparently, you know, they can come up with some original uh, some uh, pretty interesting original content even if the story even if the formula's derivative. Toy Home Alone 2 is the exact same movie as Home Alone 1. Um, it's completely uninteresting. It's completely derivative. It has the exact same beats. It has the exact same gags. Even the gag when they oversleep their alarm clock to go to the airport is in the same. Is it's it's in Home Alone 2. It's the exact same gag. You're you can't tell me that you don't have enough creativity to come up with a different gag. Like you have to just repeat the same thing over and over again. Um, Home Alone 2 also has a very unique distinction of having the two greatest uh, tragedies of 21st century American history in them, which is uh, Kevin uh, going atop the World Trade Center and the cameo appearance by Donald Trump. That's that's saying something, <laughs> that you can have two of those in the same movie in 1993. And then it's only topped by Home Alone 3, which, I mean, to be honest, I don't really remember a whole lot of it, except for the fact that Macaulay Culkin wasn't in it. And uh, let me read you the, the, the plot description description from INDB. Alex Pruitt, a young boy of nine living in Chicago, fends off thieves who seek a top secret chip in his toy car to support a North Korean terrorist organization's next deed. Yes, that's a great <laughs> wow. premise 
for a Home Alone sequel. At least they had ambition, and I do actually remember liking Home Alone 3 better than uh, Home Alone 2, because you know what? If you're going to go out, and if you're going to make a bomb, you know what? At least make a movie that's original and uh, maybe ambitious in some way, instead of doing the exact same thing over and over again. So, the Home Alone sequels, uh, uh, terrible, terrible tragedies. But if you have to watch one, go with Home Alone 3, please. That's a good one. That's a good one. Ebert gave it thumbs up, by the way. Gave that, Home that Alone three thumbs up. Yes, it's one of their best. It's it's one of their best. Uh, uh, if you ever see it on uh, their the Cisco and Ebert debates, um, he 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 gave he did give a thumbs up. Oh. He, and he didn't give the original Home Alone thumbs up either. He gave th- the original Home Alone thumbs down. Gave th- number two thumbs down, and then gave three thumbs up. <laughs> I love Roger. You, you could you, you, Home Alone three is a good. I, the Home Alone two is fine. I, I would say I would say awful. if you're if you're gonna make a sequel, at least have Macaulay Culkin in it. I mean, there's a fourth one. Well, by that, there is. Oh wow. Okay, I, I got to see it. Uh, but you know, by by that point, Macaulay Culkin was what like 19 years old. I mean, way past the Richie Rich phase, but. You know, maybe it still would. Maybe it was more like when he was in the party monster phase of his career, and and that would have been very interesting to watch. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to some uh, some honorable mentions. Uh, I've got a few uh, I want to mention here. Um, first, going off of what I was just saying about uh, if you want to send a character to another country, it'll kill your franchise. Uh, I still say the Wolverine is the worst of the uh, of the X Men movies. Yeah, let's send the Wolverine to Japan and see what happens. No, it's terrible. Um, Anchorman two. Everyone kind of wanted to see an, a sequel to Anchorman, but how long it took them to get there, it wasn't really worth it anymore. So that was one. Um, I also didn't really love Ocean's Twelve or Ocean's Thirteen as sequels simply because I thought Ocean's Eleven was such a good movie it didn't need any more and especially after seeing how they turned out um I wasn't a huge fan at first of the first Fast and the Furious movie so when Too Fast Too Furious came out with the number two Too Fast Too Furious and let's take out Vin Diesel the best part of the movie um yeah, that one. And then Tokyo Drift was even worse. Tokyo Drift actually killed the franchise until they rebooted it. Um, and then two that I want to mention that um, are unwanted sequels that are still coming. Um, Top Gun 2. Really? Do we need a sequel to Top Gun 2? Or to Top Gun? Was it 30 years later? No, no, please no. That's what but we do But it's going to happen next year. Yeah. And then... The, the trailer for this just came out. It's coming out this fall. Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining. Really? Really? Uh, I, I mean, it looks like it's going to be interesting, but why? Why do we need a sequel to The Shining? And I, Stephen King wrote the book, and it's based on that, but I don't know. I don't know. It just sounds weird. Todd, do you have any honorable mentions? Yeah, I got uh, Evan Almighty. I... I never actually have seen it, but it, I, 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 I don't know. I, I can't imagine why that movie, uh, is, exists. That's uh, a good the one. Hangover Part 3, I, I don't, 
I don't understand how that like they actually made a third one. That I mean, the second one was so horribly received. I, it's confusing to me. Uh, Oz the Great and Powerful. That Good I, one. There's okay. yeah. I don't know. Uh, Son of the Mask was another one I, I had thought of. <laughs> I. I yeah. I, I still haven't seen that either. And then, of course, Toy Story 3, because I, I was so nervous going into that that they were going to screw it up, and I, I I almost didn't want to watch it, but I had to watch it, and I'm just so glad that they, they actually are good at that. All right. Zach, honorable mention. All right, my honorable mentions are Dirty Dancing 2, Havana Nights, which... Uh, I actually like more than the original Dirty Dancing, so um, yeah, there's that. Uh, Star Trek V, which has the memorable scene of Kirk and Spock and Bones singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat over a fire at a campsite. Yes, you heard me right. Great YouTube clip if you ever want to check it out. Uh, Airplane 2, the sequel, which is, is, it's a terrible movie. It's not funny at all. And, and along those same lines, Caddyshack 2. Um, just not funny at all. What, whatever magic was in the originals, just, just not there at all. Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising, which I think was my worst film of 2014, whatever year it was when, when it came out. Unwatchable. Um, the Human Centipede 2 and 3. Um, I liked the original Human Centipede, and I'm not even saying that ironically. I actually think it's a pretty interesting movie, um, and I would encourage people to watch it. The, the sequels, uh, I turned off. Uh, they were awful. Uh, Wild Things 2 does not live up to the original at all, although for direct-to-DVD movies, maybe not so bad. Uh, Basic Instinct 2... Um, which Roger Ebert gave one and a half stars, and then he wrote in his review that he actually wanted to give it four. And then uh, we have, a, yeah. then we have a, 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 a saga of Airbud sequels: Airbud Golden Receiver, Airbud Seventh Inning Fetch. It's Air Golden Bud's, Retriever. Is it Receiver really? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's Retriever. You're right, Todd. I'm sorry. I missed the joke. Um, and Airbud Strike Spike. Spikes back, and then finally Air Buddies. Um, just, just pr- pretty bad stuff overall. And then last but not wow. least, um, uh, it, I don't know if this is so much a sequel, but the continuation of R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. He came out with chapters one through twelve in two thousand five, <laughs> but chapters thirteen through twenty two in two thousand seven, and chapters twenty three through thirty three in two thousand twelve. We really need to watch thirty three chapters of Trapped in the Closet. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. The first set of them are actually really good. Then it goes really weird. Um, Okay. (laughs) Uh, Let's go on to uh, to uh, predicting Adam's list. Our friend Adam Daly, uh, fellow contributor to AlmostSideways.com, we predict his list every time. That's what we keep score with. Uh, So I'm going to go first. This is what I think his list is going to be. Number five. As always, I have to have animated Batman. They've made so many sequels. There's got to be one of them he hated. Um, number four, I had to pick one of them from this, but there's got to be one on there. I'm going to go with Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. He has to regret okay. one of the Halloween movies. Uh, number three, I'm going Toy Story 4. I think he's going to throw it on there. Uh, number two, The Return of Jafar. Nobody wanted a sequel to Aladdin, especially if you're not going to get Robin Williams. And number one, uh, The Matrix 2 and 3, because they announced they were both coming out at the same time, so I'm going to put them both, lump them together, and and uh, pile on that pile of crap all at once. Okay, that's my list. Todd, what do you have for Adam's list? 
Okay, number five, I have Hamlet 2. Even though it's not a sequel, I think we might have it on there. Uh, number four, I have Jaws 3D. Uh, number three, Batman and Harley Quinn. Number two, Alien vs. Predator Requiem. And number one, I think you would go with Home Alone 4. Okay. All right. Zach. I, I have to give you props, Terry. The, the Return of Jafar, if I had remembered that, I would have put on, that on my list. That, the, that's a great pick. I mean, it was, you know, the voice of Homer Simpson as the genie. But that's, that's true. Just, Dan Castellaneta. It, it, it's, 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 it's a travesty. Um, okay, my number five for Adam is Batman and Robin. Number four is Son of the Mask. Number three is Thor the Dark World. Number two is Star Wars Attack of the Clones. And number one, which is a movie I'm shocked no one has said because I think it meets Terry's definition of this list and my definition of this list, which is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, oh yes. Just uh, brutal. Aren't they doing another brutal. one, too? They're doing another one. That, that, that should have been on one of our lists. I mean, who wants Indiana Jones 5? Well, hope, hopefully it will be on Adams. Uh, okay. We are uh, ready to unveil his list. All right, here we go. Adam's list. Honorable mentions. Toy Story 4. Uh, S. Darko, the Donnie Darko sequel. Um, that's a good one. Nice. Uh, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Project 2. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. American Psycho 2. And he says all of the Hangover sequels. Okay. Uh, number five, Jaws the Revenge. Oh. <laughs> Wrong one, Todd. <laughs> Come on. Uh, number four, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. Number three, Taken 2. Number two, Rocky 5. And number one, The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions together at number one. I think that clinches a win for me. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, we all, Zach right. had one right. Zach had one right, but it was in the wrong spot. And I correctly predicted right. well, that his number one would be a tie between two films. Well, well and, and, and Todd had a, a Jaws film predicted, so we all got something out of that list. True, true. But I clearly won. <laughs> <laughs> I clearly yeah, you also won. cheated by saying a Batman's animated movie. I said Batman and Harley Quinn. I at yeah, least you at least a picked more one. Specific. Yeah, I, I knew by putting that on the list I was I was uh, sacrificing a point there, but I didn't really care. <laughs> I think Todd should get like point .1 points for naming uh, American Psycho 2 on his list, which Adam also had. No, he didn't predict it, on though. He had it on his honorable mention. Well, but I think it's just an impressive selection. If Ben uh. was here, he'd agree with me. <laughs> I think I win. Do I win? I think I win. You, you yeah, win. Terry won. won. Okay. Okay. So Terry gets out of last place. He's now up by point two. Yes. Take that, Zach. Eight point three, eight point one, <laughs> eleven point three, <laughs> or thirteen point three. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay. It's uh, it's time to get into trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Now, before we start trivia every time, we uh, we do a movie review to talk about uh, something that, uh, that we were forced to watch, or one of us was forced to watch, uh, after our last trivia game. It's kind of our punishment. However, on the last trivia, we decided that we should all punish each other. 
and uh, watch a movie that was an answer on our trivia game of uh, most nominated films never or not to be nominated for Best Picture. And uh, that was the 1949 film Come to the Stable um, that none of us had heard of, but it had somehow gotten um, seven, I think it was seven best, uh, seven Oscar nominations, but was but not, best, but picture. not best picture. Not best picture. So um, it did receive, let's see here, it received best actress, two supporting actress. Uh, best writing, cinematography, art direction, and original song. Those were the ones that it was nominated for. Even though the song isn't even original, really, right? Because they even yeah, say I that know, in the I movie. Know. They make fun of the fact that it was ripped off. <laughs> uh, so uh, we all watched this movie because none of us had ever heard of it. So let's just grab a random movie to watch. And so uh, I'll start by talking about this one. Uh, this is uh, Come to the Stable is a movie about two uh, two nuns, Sister Margaret and Sister St- Sister Scholastica, that um, were uh, working in a uh, in a hospital, a children's hospital in Europe, in France during World War II. And uh, when their hospital is spared from all of the uh, destruction going on around them, they uh, they vow to uh, to uh, go to America and build a children's hospital there in honor of, uh, of the miracle God had performed for them. And, uh, and so you, you see them arrive in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and they're going to build their hospital there and they're, uh, they're getting it all, all set up and they're going around town and it's, it's partially a fish out of water, partially kind of a, kind of a religious, uh, inspirational thing. Um, it's, it's corny, it's cheesy, um, but just like the people in the town, I couldn't help but be charmed by it. Just like the people were charmed by the by the nuns, uh, I I enjoyed a good portion of it. The ending, though, the ending kind of gets out of control a little bit. Um, I have no idea why we had to watch a nun play tennis. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and 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 the big reveal that she was like a professional tennis player before she became a became a nun i mean what is why is that even a part of it um and uh and the whole motivation of the uh, of uh, of mr mason hugh played by hugh marlowe it's it is kind of ridiculous at the end um so uh i'm giving it two and a half stars i i like i said i was charmed by it but the the ending kind of ruins it um but uh but it was fun it was a fun movie and it was really good to see uh to see Dooley Wilson and something else played against Sam from uh, from Casablanca uh, plays uh, plays Mr. Mason's servant and it was uh, it was cool to see him in something else but uh, yeah two and a half stars for me what do you guys think uh, Zach you go first well I, I, okay sure cool to see Dooley Wilson as another subservient black character he makes some like no bitching cocktails so it looks like in something in something <laughs> uh, yeah Okay, whatever. Um, that being said, though, um, I, I'm, I'm going to one-up Terry on this one. I'm going to give this film three stars. I can't believe I'm giving it three stars. I mean, I, I really was prepared to hate this film, but I don't know. Something struck me in, you know, put me in the mood. I was, I, I haven't seen a, an old black and white movie in a long time, and uh, 
I liked this movie. I, I liked that it was female-centric. I liked that the story had complications and obstacles for them to overcome. I like that we know at some point they're going to succeed in building the hospital, but we wonder constantly through the movie, how are they going to overcome this obstacle? How are they going to overcome you know, that, that, that uh, they have to uh, convince the landowner to sell the land? How are they going to raise the funds to build this hospital? How are they going to convince the townspeople and the landowners to give them you know, the, the, the permission to do this? I, I like that, and I was always curious to see how they got from point A to point B. Um, I liked the first half of the film more than the second half. I really liked how they had to find this landowner, Luigi Rossi, who I think the movie really could have turned into a gross uh, ethnic stereotype of Italians, and I thought that's where the movie, where the movie was going, because it shows him as this kind of big city gangster, um, you know, almost out of like a guys and dolls type setting. But uh, I thought his performance by Thomas Gomez, uh, I guess, as the actor, was really kind of mannered, and um, I liked the scene that they had with him, and I found it believable that he would maybe donate his plot of property to the nuns. Um, you're right, Terry. I think it gets a little ridiculous at the end. I do think the movie has somewhat of an anti-capitalist bent to it, though, because there is a long speech at the end. I believe it was given by uh, the, uh, the 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 guy's girlfriend or maybe his friend, Bob Mason, the somehow millionaire musician who works out of Pennsylvania, but whatever, um, <laughs> about how... Uh, you know, we, yes, uh, we own property and we have our own houses, but you know what? It's okay if someone else is on our property um, doing something for the good of society. And I thought that was a nice sort of quasi-Marxist, quasi-communist speech, um, it, which there were several in the 1930s and 40s, un underhanded, of course. You know, for a movie from 1949, I think it's pretty cool. 1949 is pretty clearly a weak year in the history of Hollywood. The fact that this film got seven Oscar nominations is sort of ridiculous. And the fact that two of them were for cinematography and art direction, I mean, this movie was clearly shot on a soundstage for the, the majority of it. And the cinematography is totally by the book and nothing unique at all. But I like the performances. I like the story. Yeah, The Nun Playing Tennis was ridiculous, but this movie could have been so much worse than it actually was. And hey, it's 94 minutes. I'm not going to complain. Thumbs up. I really should be giving and this three stars too. I should. It could have been so much worse. It could have been so much more corny like Going My Way, which is an un borderline unwatchable Best Picture winner. It had similar themes with, with the church and religion, and, and it never shoved it in your face. And, the, and it really wasn't. You say it was corny and, and hammy. I, I didn't actually think it was that corny. But like I said, it, it, it's, you, you can't help but be charmed by it. Just like, yeah, just I, like I everyone can't, be, can't help but be charmed by the characters. Todd, what do you think? Uh, I could echo a lot of what you guys said. I, I think the movie is actually kind of well put together. It's definitely a 1940s Oscar film. I'm kind of surprised it didn't get nominated for Best Picture. Like, really would have fit the bill at the time. It's, like, shamelessly inspirational. And it's billed as a comedy drama, so the corniness is sort of by design. And they kind of use that to its advantage. It kind of is very aware of how kind of lame it is. Uh, and it's definitely well-worn territory, but it doesn't show any shame in that i think the nuns are also kind of badasses like uh, another character that could be like bo peep and furiosa i guess is sister margaret but <laughs> she like drives the jeep like crazy like yeah she's nuts uh rear projection. she tears up her parking ticket in front of a cop she she confronts a gangster <laughs> by just like walking by his bodyguards and i know the other one kills at tennis she slings a sl sledgehammer pretty awesome i don't know I, somehow i got caught up in the movie and i'm i'm really glad we watched it i really like the dog too I, oh, oh yeah, the yes, Great Dane. I give it three stars. <laughs> Screw it, I'm giving it three stars too. This movie was thrice awesome. approved. <laughs> thrice approved. <laughs> I was, I was like trying to control myself. I'm like, I really like this movie, but 
Should I really have liked this movie? I'm not sure. You know, no, I'm giving it three stars. Screw it. It's amazing. Just take up the nun playing tennis. Yeah. That's that's the only that's the only problem with this movie. Yeah. Especially because yeah. she whiffs on her first swing. I it's know. Like, and, and oh, then yeah. apparently no, she no like, takes player. over the entire court. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care how long it's been. Yeah, and she took over the entire court. It was two on one at the end of that game. <laughs> uh, yeah, so thrice approved. Go see Come to the Stable. It's actually like available to rent pretty much everywhere, which I was kind of surprised too. Um, nah, it's not that surprising. Well, yeah. A movie that but it does only, it does ha- not have that many votes. Like I, I can't believe there were three copies at, at the library for, on DVD. I'm surprised that even. Oh yeah. So did did you ever meet the people that had rented it from your library, Todd? The the three people who had reserved your copy in advance because it's such in such high demand in uh, Federal Way, Washington. No, I did not meet them. That would have been pretty funny though. <laughs> Could have gotten yeah, them on the doesn't... podcast. It, yes, we should have. It has less than a thousand votes on uh, on IMDb. So everyone that's listening, go out and see Come to the Stable. Rank Get it, it on IMDb. Get it to a thousand. That's our goal. Get Come to the Stable to a thousand votes. Get it reviewed. It's Get it in libraries. <laughs> Let the public decide. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, conundrum. Okay. Um, so, Todd, you are hosting trivia this week, I believe, correct? Yes. Okay. So, we have no idea what we're doing here. Todd, tell us what we're doing. Okay, I have one category, and it is a possible 74 answers. So, this could go back and forth for a bit. Uh, hopefully, if you guys actually know this. Uh, (laughs) so, since we're talking about Toy Story and Pixar and all that, we are going with Every movie that has been nominated for Best Animated Feature. Oh, wow. So, Holy keep in mind, the category was not cow. was not invented until 2001. So, and there, yeah, so there have been years where there have been three nominees and years where there have been five nominees. But there are 74 movies that have been nominated in those 18 years at the Oscars. All right. And since I won I trivia have, and apparently I, I, didn't actually get to choose a movie for everyone to watch, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to choose who goes first. And since I beat Terry, I'm going to have Zach go first. Okay, so I'm going to start with the, the first winner of the best animated film, and that is Shrek. That is correct. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Correct. The most recent up. winner. You say up? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the Incredibles 2. Yeah, there's no the, but yeah. Oh, correct. yeah. There isn't the first one. Right. Frozen. Frozen is correct. Coco. Coco is correct. Finding Nemo. Correct. Ralph breaks the internet. Correct. Uh, cars. Correct. Um, Mirai. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, Terry. Wow. Uh, did did we say Wally yet? We did not. So that is correct. 
Wally. Toy Story 3. Correct. Uh, Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. Correct. <laughs> the Secret of Kells. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, Monster House. Correct. The Incredibles. Correct. And Terry already said The Incredibles too, right? Or am I allowed to ask that? I think he did. I did. Yeah, he said it. Okay. Um, what was that? Oh, uh, gosh. Uh, I'm trying to think of that stupid one. Uh, um, Inside Out? Correct. That stupid one that you put on Mount Rushmore of Pixar movies? That well, one? that's not the one I was thinking <laughs> of, but I'm going to try to think of it. <laughs> uh, Brave? Correct. We're still, there are six winners that we have not mentioned yet. Uh, Shrek 2? Correct. Princess and the Frog? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Uh, Zootopia? Correct. Um, oh, uh, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit? Nice. That's one of the winners, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. The Triplets of Belleville. Oh, good Correct. one. Good one. Persepolis? Correct. Loving Vincent. Correct. Oh, good one. Good one. Ferdinand. Correct. <laughs> Ferdinand, wow. I would never have said that. <laughs> I would have never said that either. <laughs> um, oh boy. Uh, Howl's Moving Castle? Uh, that is correct. Wreck-It Ralph? That is correct. It's spirited away. Correct. Another winner. Uh, Ponyo. Um, I don't. I don't see it. That had to be nominated. Well, I have the list right here, but I will confirm. I don't think that's right, though. Oh no. Dang it. Was not nominated. So, and since... Uh, I guess that well, could... I started. Yeah. Uh, so does that mean that you win? I think or so. Did... I think it means I won. Alright. I didn't even do it with a list. No hands, Ma. <laughs> I wrote down like three things and then just kind of went the, for it. The, the stupid one that I was trying to remember was that... Um, the silent one. Was it the red turtle... The one that came yeah. out a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Okay, that, that's what I was trying to say. So I would have won anyway. There we go. So Terry got uh, four of the five from last year. What was the one I missed? Isle of Dogs. Oh, gosh. Oh. Oh, so Fantastic Mr. Fox. The winners that you guys too. did not get. Yeah. The
the the winners you did not get were Happy Feet, uh, Ratatouille, ah. Rango, and Big Hero Six. Um, you, Big Hero Six. You also forgot a couple like uh, a couple franchises: the Kung Fu Panda movies, the How to Train Your Dragon movies. Yeah. Dang. So, I guess Zach gets to choose a movie. Yes. Finally. You're going on that Miyazaki run there. I just kind of went with it, and I figured Ponyo was nominated. That's weird. Okay. All well, right. Marty so, was there. The Tale of Princess Kaguya. You could have gone with those ones. Those are other Miyazaki ones. Yeah. All right. I'll accept defeat. Uh, all right. Moving on. Last but not least, uh, it's time for our quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Uh, Zach, since uh, since you won, do you want to go first or last? Uh, I'll go first. Okay. Um, my quote of the day comes from Roger Ebert's review of Basic Instinct 2. Um <laughs> It's a movie that he gave one half stars. He says, Here's a movie so outrageous and preposterous, it is either A, suicidal, or B, throbbing with horrible fascination. And that's the way I feel about this podcast. He, he also says at the end, in a footnote, he says, My one and a half star rating is like a cold shower designed to take my mind away from giving it four stars. Which I, I sort of feel that way about, uh, well, none of the sequels I, I mentioned, but you know, maybe Live Free or Die Hard. I mean... There's a sort of brilliance to it. I also am a fan of Too Fast, Too Furious. I don't know why you're shitting on that movie. That's that's actually a, a solid three-star movie for me. It's all right. It's all right. All right. I'll go next. Uh, my quote is uh, is from Rocky Balboa, and uh, and it's another one I, I think kind of sums up the podcast a little bit here. Uh, Rocky says uh, at one point, um, "Oh, what is it you said to the kid? It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how you can get hit." and keep moving forward how much you can take and keep moving forward get up so yeah that that's the podcast how much can we take how 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 much crap can we take but you know keep keep moving forward and keep keep putting it out so there you go nice todd what do you got all right uh this quote comes from a character called master of death in low-key bb kiddos number one of 1980 shogun assassin as zach put it um it, it doesn't describe this podcast, but he's this. he says, When cut across the neck, a sound like wailing winter winds is heard. I'd always hope to cut someone like that someday, to hear that sound, but to have it happen to my own neck is ridiculous. I don't know if that's just a bad translation into English or what, but that is just like, like a terrible, terrible line. And I just thought I had to share it. Uh, that was great. Oh, and, and, and I also have to share, like, Rocky Balboa's opponent in Rocky Balboa has like the worst name for any boxer ever. Mason the Line. Mason the Line Dixon. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> it's terrible. All right. Well, uh thank you guys so much for listening. Again, find us at almostsideways.com. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Again, subscribe, rate, review. Tell people about us. We want to uh, get and, heard by as many people as possible. And tell us our the fourth film on our Mount Rushmore of Pixar films. Yes, and be Please. looking be looking for me at Almost Side Terry to be posting our, uh, our 
ranking or our poll for what's going to be the the fourth film on our Pixar Mount Rushmore. Uh, we will be back uh, next week with another podcast as we're going to be deep dive uh, on uh, American Beauty, right? That's what we're going with, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do a deep dive on American Beauty next week. Uh, so uh, so if you want to watch that over the next week so you can be ready for that, go ahead and do that. And uh, we will see you next time. And until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.